Hey everyone, welcome to Tom French Preaching. This is the podcast of me, Tom French, preaching, just like the title says. I'm a guy who lives in Melbourne and does Bible talks for youth and other people around Australia and all over the internet. I'm also the author of Weird, Crude, Funny and Nude, The Bible Exposed, the very best book that I have ever written. For more information about my book or to see what else I've been up to, go to my website, tomfrench.com.au. And with that, let's get on with the talk. I don't know if you've ever stolen from a charity, but I have. Uh, I was a young man when I first did the 40-hour famine. The 40-hour famine was on this weekend, but... Uh, the way we do it now, there's like a, what we call the backpack challenge, where you've got to live out of a backpack for 40 hours to identify with the situation of refugees. But when, when I was younger, when I was a teenager, you just went for 40 hours without food. So I tried that once, and I was terrible at it. I made it about 20 hours, and in that 20 hours, I'd eaten like you know, six packets of barley sugars. And so then I was like, I don't think I'm this good at this. I'm going to give up. And so then I was like, actually, this, this whole thing seems dumb to me. Like, why do I need to give up food because other people are starving? I'm like, they're unhappy and I'm unhappy. Nobody is winning here. So I was like, I'm going to do something different. So my friend and I, we got together and we thought, while the 40-hour famine is on, we are going to do our own event and we're going to raise money for World Vision and we're going to call it the 40-hour indulgence. And uh, it was not like some terrible thing of debauchery. It was just movie marathon for 40 hours with a lot of bad food. So we did that, and we organized it at church, and people came along, and they paid money to participate, and I collected it in a jar, and we had a really good time. And then I took the jar home with the plan to bank the money or give the money somehow to World Vision. But then I, I had this jar of cash, and I was like, I don't actually know how to get this to World Vision. Like, I've just got this jar of money. So I'd sat in my room for a while, and then one day I needed to go to the movies with my friends, and I didn't have money. But there was a jar full of money. I was like, well, I could just borrow the money, couldn't I? So I borrowed, you know, $20 from the starving kids in Africa, and I went to the movies, and the plan was to pay them back, But then a few days later, I had to go out and eat hot chips with my friend. And there was the jar of money. And so World Vision lent me some more money. I went and got hot chips. And eventually, over a few months, all the money disappeared from the jar. And I didn't pay it back until like two years later when I finally got my first job. I was like, I really should pay that back. And so eventually I did. But in the meantime, I was was an embezzler of World Vision funds. And what I discovered in that is that as good as I thought that I was, uh, I was not that good. That I thought that, you know, oh, good on me, I've been raising money, but there was this temptation that was sitting in my room, and uh, I was willing to, to take from some of the poorest people in the world so that I could enjoy hanging out with my friends. And, uh, and I think we often have moments in our life where we discover that we are not as good as we think that we are when we see the depths of who we are and we see the depths of our sin and we realize that, that we are not that good. Well, this passage uh, that we are looking at uh, in Genesis chapter 3, this is the passage where we see this for the whole of humanity. And you might have you know, listened to this and know that this is a significant story, but then when you hear it, you think, well, what actually is the big deal? Because really it's a story about some people who eat some fruit that they shouldn't have. 
And that doesn't seem that bad. Like, it's just eating fruit. Like, if you, you know, are looking forward to eating some leftovers at home and then your brother eats them before you get home, like, that's disappointing, but it's not like, you know, banish them from the house and they will die for their sins kind of bad. It's just like, I'm pretty disappointed that I didn't get the spaghetti bolognese that we had last night. Like, that's, it's not a big deal. But what is going on in this passage is that in this story of the first sin of humanity, it is showing us the pattern for all sin in humanity. It is perhaps the archetypal sin. It is the the archetype being the idea that this is the, the one that sets the pattern for everything else. Like if the first, you know, McDonald's burger was created, there was this burger, and then every other burger is somehow like that burger. It's got the bun, it's got the patty, it comes quickly and it's not that good, but it's good enough. And every other burger kind of fits into that patty, sorry, that, that pattern somehow. Well, that's kind of what this story is doing for us here. It's giving us the pattern of sin in the world. This is what all of our sin looks like. And so, as we go through this story, we are going to see what it is that fits into all sin. We're going to see what are the causes of sin, we're going to see what are the consequences of our sin, and we are going to see the hope that there is in the midst of sin. So the story begins when Adam and Eve, uh, things have gone pretty well for them, like they're getting on well with God, and they're getting on well with each other, and they're living in this great garden. Everything is great. And then along comes the serpent, And the serpent, we don't know a lot about the serpent. We know the serpent uh, is one of God's creations. Uh, It says that it is more crafty than any other wild animal the Lord had made. So he's made by God and he is crafty. That's what we know. And then the serpent says to the woman, did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? And this might be the point where some of you are like, all right, that's it, I'm done. Because we have a talking snake. And so this story is obviously not worth paying attention to. Now, you might have different views about what actually is going on here and what historically happened. Some of you are totally comfortable with the talking snake, that you believe that's what was happening, and that is fine. You're totally allowed to do that. And some of you are like, definitely there was no talking snakes because that's not true, and that's fine. You're allowed to do that too. The, the, the important thing in this passage is you, you, you can decide what you think of this, and we don't have time to go into exactly, you know, you know, what I think is going on historically here, but the important thing in this passage is that this is showing us that at some point in time, there was a time when humanity chose to turn against God. And they were tempted to do that by someone and they broke their relationship with God. That's what's going on. And whether this is a metaphorical retelling or whether this is a literal retelling of what happened, I'll let you decide that later. Don't get caught up on that because that's not the big picture of what's happening here. This is, uh, this is not the, you know, the, the history book that you need to memorize for the good history of the world. This is the history book that you need to understand for the spiritual history of us and God. And the rest of it, you can figure out later. So if you want to talk about the talking snake, then you can text your questions in during the question time. But snake comes along and talks to Eve, and the snake says, did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? And what the snake is doing here, or the serpent is doing here, is the serpent is saying, you know, he's saying, what is it that God said? And it's not that actually the serpent really wants to know. The serpent isn't like, oh, I heard this rumor that God said some stuff. Can you please clarify for me? No, the serpent is wanting to undermine what God has commanded 
the man and the woman to do while they're in the garden. And so the woman responds, and she says, uh, in verse 2, she says, We may not eat of the fruit of the trees, sorry, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it, or you shall die. So she's saying, oh, we can eat from any tree, but not this particular tree in the middle of the garden. We can't eat that one. God said we can't eat from it and we can't touch it. But if you remember back from earlier, and I don't know how many of you have heard the earlier sermons in this series, hopefully lots of you have, but you might remember that when God made the law, he said this in chapter 2, verse 16. He said, you may freely eat from every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day you eat of it, you shall die. Now that's not quite what Eve said, is it? She added a bit as well. She's saying we can't even touch it. But God didn't say you can't touch it. They could touch the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They could, you know, they could, you know, pick its fruit. They could, you know, throw the fruit to each other. They could play football with the fruit. They could, you know, make paints out of the fruit. They could all do all those things. They just couldn't eat it. But Eve has added an extra law. And sometimes what we discover with sin, the way that we disobey God comes about sometimes because we ignore everything that God says, but sometimes it comes about because we add on to what God says. We do both of those things, and sin comes from both of those things. And so she says this to the, to the serpent, and the serpent turns to her and says, You will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And he's undermining what God has said here. He's undermining Eve's understanding of who God is. He's saying to the woman that, that God... He doesn't want what's best for you. He is withholding things from you. You can't trust God. You can't trust that he has good things for you. He doesn't want to be threatened by you. But if you eat of the fruit, you will know good and evil. And, you know, there's a lot of discussion about what it means to know good and evil. But from what I can understand, it seems to mean that when you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it's that you are taking that knowledge for yourself, that you get to decide what is good and evil. But that is no longer God's job, but you are taking it for yourself. And, and Satan, sorry, the serpent, that was a spoiler there, the serpent, <laughs> the serpent is saying to Eve, he's saying, he's saying, oh, you can be like God. He's afraid of you. You can be like him. And so she, he is undermining her relationship with God. And so she realizes that maybe she wants this. And so she, she sees the tree, sees that it's good for food. And so she takes the fruit and she eats it. And then she turns to her husband and offers it to him. And he eats it straight away. We find out at that point that he's been there the whole time and he's been doing nothing. Like at no point did he speak up and be like, oh, maybe we should discuss this. Is this a good idea? I don't know. He didn't say, oh, okay, you can eat the fruit, but I'm not going to. He didn't, he just, as soon as it's there, it's like, yeah, I'm doing it. And they ate it together. And this is where we see the, what sin is like. That all of sin starts from this same place where we mistrust God where we mistrust the goodness of God, that we think that we can do better by ourselves, that whatever God has for us is not good enough. We can go it alone. We can take what we want and we can leave God behind because he doesn't know what is best for us. That is at the root cause of every sin. 
And so we defy God by choosing to go our own way because we mistrust His Word to us. We mistrust that He has good for us. When I was a, a young man, when I first got my license, I was not a hoon. Like some young men do that, I didn't do that uh, because I had a big white van that was my family's car and you cannot be a good hoon when you look like a homeschooling mum. So I drove my, my big white van around with my friends in it, but there was one place where I did hoon and that was in the Westfield car park in my local Westfield. My friends and I would often go there late at night to go to Woolworths and we would get ourselves microwave cheeseburgers because we were very healthy young men. And we would buy a microwave cheeseburger at about 11 p.m. at night. There'd be no one in the car park. And so then we had this thing that we did, which we called the Westie Challenge. And the challenge was you had to get from the car park space to the, the exit in as quick a time as possible. So we figured out what the best route was. And, you, and you know, you'd cross car parks. You'd go the wrong way, you know, down the, 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 the lanes. And you'd, you know, cut through between pillars. And, and you'd go through, you know, no entry bits. And then you'd get there. And I think the, the best time we did it in was like under a minute. We were pretty pleased with ourselves. And then there was one day when we were there. And it wasn't late at night. It was like about three in the afternoon. And I had some friends in the car. I was like... I'm going to do the Westie Challenge. And I'm like, whoa, yeah, let's do it. And so I you know, started you know, driving through the car park. It wasn't as easy because there were cars around. And, uh, but you know, I, I found the, you know, the best route I could. And, and then there was this one point where I saw that I could kind of duck between some cars and some columns and I could cut like you know, 10 meters off, off the track. So I was like, yeah, we'll do this. And so I, as I was ducking through, there was a, a woman kind of stepped out from behind her car because she had the gall to be there where I wanted to drive and to decide to put her shopping in the car when I was trying to complete the Westie challenge in, in record time. And so I was like, well, look, I can't, I probably shouldn't drive over her, so I swerved to avoid her. And then as I swerved, I banged the car into a column and then I dented the side of the car door and I was so embarrassed that I just drove off and I didn't stop to check the car or the column. And then Westfield collapsed and everyone, it, it, it survived. My car was less good. And, and what was going on for me there is that I was in Westfield and I completely disrespected the authority of Westfield. Because I'm like, you know, I respect the police, but I do not respect Westfield. It's like, you can make your rules for me, but you do not know what is best for me. What is best for me is that I have fun and I enjoy driving around the car park. And even if that endangers a woman who decides to pack you know, her, her shopping into the car, in the car park, which is complete within her rights, I will do what I want. And that's what all sin is, that we disrespect the authority of God. That we say, your authority doesn't count because I know what's better or I want something that you are not going to give me and so I will take it for myself. And think about when you sin, when you do the wrong thing, what is going on there? Like often we call it things like bad choices or we, we say that it is you know, just a, a, a result of our upbringing. And, and sometimes sin is, this is involved in sin, but always sin is a, an active choice to rebel against God and to say that he doesn't have what is best for us at heart. So when you choose to get revenge on your friend, and you say, they were mean to me, so I will be mean back to them. What you are saying is, I don't trust that God will look after me that God's way is best, and so I will take matters into my own hands. When you, when you get angry at your, your parents, 
You say, well, because they've made a dumb rule, and so I'll get angry at them. Because it's your right to get angry at them when they've done something dumb. But you're not trusting God that He knows best that the way that you relate to your parents will work better if you honour and respect them. Or if you choose to gossip about your friends, and you say, well, what does it hurt? It's fun for me, and they're not going to hear about it. And you say, you're saying that I know what's best for me, and it's not to respect other people with my words, whatever God says. Or when you, say, when you say, well, you know, God gave me a sex drive, so I will do whatever I want with it. Then you blame God and you say, look, I, I know what's best for me. He doesn't know what's best. I will do it. All of these things, we're saying, I know what is best. This is the cause of sin that we choose to take into our own hands our own knowledge of what is right and wrong and say, God doesn't know, I know best, and that is what sin is. And so the result of that is then there are consequences for that, and we see that that is what comes about in the rest of the passage. Uh, We see uh, that the consequences are first that Adam and Eve discover that they are naked, Uh, and when they discover that they are naked uh, and they make clothes for themselves, uh, it's not because, the Bible is not saying here that clothes are evil. It's not saying everyone go and become nudist. That's not what it's saying. What it's saying here is that the nakedness uh, is a ref- was a reflection of the intimacy between the man and the woman. That they, there was nothing that stood between them. That they could be totally honest with each other. They could be totally connected to each other. And there was nothing that got in the way. But as soon as they sinned, their relationship with each other was broken and they were ashamed to be seen and known by each other. And so they make themselves clothes. And then along comes God and God is walking in the garden. He asks where Adam is. He says, where are you? And then the man speaks up and he says, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? What is happening here is that the man is afraid and his relationship with God is now broken. Because not only is he afraid to be seen and known uh, by his wife and the wife is afraid to be seen and known by her husband, but they are afraid to be seen and known by God. Whereas once there was right relationship there, now it is broken because they've rebelled against God. And so the man responds, and the man says, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit to eat, and I ate. Then the Lord said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent tricked me, and I ate. And what they're doing here is they're both, you know, shifting the blame, the man more than the woman. The woman's like, you know, it's the serpent, but I did it. The man's like, well, it was you, God, you gave me the woman, it was the woman, she gave it to me, it's totally not me. And I don't know about you, but I do that with my sin regularly. That you, you, you do something wrong, or you make a mistake, and you immediately shift the blame onto someone else or something else so that it's not you that is stuffed up. I'm not very good at leaving the house on time. I want to be, but I'm not. And so say, like, I have to go and meet my friend, like I'm going to meet them in the city, and I'm going to meet him at 6, so I'm like, well, I better leave my house at 5.30 because I've got to get, catch a tram to get there. So I've, I've got that plan. And so at 5 o'clock, I'm like, I should probably start getting ready. 
But at five o'clock, I'm watching a video on YouTube where people are dropping big things from a big height, and they're seeing what happens when they hit the bottom. It's like, well, I can't stop watching this video. It's very important. And so I'll watch the video for a bit, and then, uh, and then there'll be another video that will start, you know, kind of like the one that we watched, started watching there. That was going to be like 16 minutes long of people like hurting themselves. I'm like, that's an important video. I should probably watch that too. And then like by this stage, you know, we've, we've now made it to like 20 past five. And I was like, well, I've still got 10 minutes. And then an, another video auto plays on YouTube. I'm like, oh, well, maybe I can kind of get ready to go while this video plays. And so I, you know, I've got to change out of my trackies and my grotty, you know, hoodie. And, and I'm trying to watch the, you know, the YouTube video while that's happening. And mainly I'm just standing there looking at it, but I'm pretending to get ready. And then it's 5.30 and it's time for me to leave. And I haven't got my shoes on. And I, haven't even, I don't even know where both my shoes are. And then I've got to, you know, find my Mikey card. And I've lost that. And then I've lost my keys. And, and then... And then eventually everything's ready to go and I'm 10 minutes late. And so I'm like, oh, well, I'll just have to go. And I look at my phone and I find out that I can catch a tram and it'll get me there and I'll only be seven minutes late. And I'm like, seven minutes? That's pretty much five minutes, which is pretty much not late at all. So that's fine. And so then I get down to the tram stop, but then my tram doesn't turn up. And I'm like, yes, now it's not my fault. And so I text my friend and say, oh, you know, Melbourne Public Transport. <laughs> Oh, it's terrible. The tram didn't turn up. And then the tram eventually turns up, and I'm like 15 minutes late, and I make sure that when I get there, I'm complaining so much about Melbourne Public Transport that it's entirely Melbourne Public Transport's fault and totally not my fault that I watched a lot of YouTube when I should have been getting ready to go. I shift the blame. And, and you might know that you do that because we do it about everything. We blame God for making us the way that we are. We blame other people for forcing us into the situation where we had to respond this way. We do everything, and as we shift the blame, we start to believe it ourselves so that we think that we are innocent and everyone else is guilty. And maybe we just made some bad choices, but we were forced into it. But that's not owning up to the truth of our sin, that our sin is an active choice to rebel against God. And the consequence of that, and particularly of our blame shifting, is that it breaks our relationships. And so God goes on to, to say what will, be, what will come about of this. The snake becomes cursed. The woman is going to experience pain in childbirth. The man is going to find it difficult to work the field. And in, and in those two, the, the childbirth and working the fields, those two are connected to the, to the mandate that the man and woman have been given in creation. Their job is to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth and subdue it. Their job is to have babies and to, to work in the, in the world to make it the way to, to look after it and to, to care for it. And now both of those things are going to be difficult and painful because of their sin. And then the, the ultimate consequence is that they are going to die. That God casts them out of the garden so they cannot eat from the tree of life anymore. That they will die. And here is God's judgment, which is the consequence of sin. And it is the judgment that comes to all of us, all of us, for our rebellion against God. The Bible teaches us that we get the judgment of God, which is death. It's a pretty bleak passage. And it shows us the depths of our depravity, that we would rebel against a good God who loves us. And it shows us the consequences that we would face God's judgment and that we would face death because we have chosen to rebel against the one who gives us life. 
And we could just leave it there. But there is also hope. In the midst of this dark passage, there is hope. And so we're going to finish by seeing the glimpses of hope that this passage gives us. And hope is important because hope gets us through. Hope helps us to look at the world and say, there is something more than this. There is something better at the end of all this. Uh, I gave blood during the week, uh, not because I'm a particularly good person, but because my wife, she like grabbed my phone and booked me in so that I would go and give blood with her. And so I, I went along to give blood. And I don't particularly enjoy giving blood. It's not, a, it's not a fun you know, exercise. Someone sticks a huge needle in you and then pulls your blood out of you. But I know it's a good thing to do. And, and, and the thing that sustains me throughout my blood giving uh, is not that every time I give blood, I save three lives. That's what they tell me. Like, that should be really good motivation. But the motivation really is that I know that when I've given enough blood, I will get a free milkshake or a free cookie, or both, or two milkshakes, or four cookies. And then there's a whole you know, fridge full of chocolate milk, and I can have as much of it as I want. And that sustains me. That is my hope. I'm sit there. I will put up with, the, with getting my blood sucked by a machine so that I can go and have that free chocolate milk. That is the thing that I go, there is, there is light at the end of this. Well, we have a much better hope than free chocolate milk that we see in this passage. We see these glimpses of hope within the depths of sin. The first one that we see is just that God gives us death, which may seem like a weird piece of hope. But imagine if we were forced to live forever in this world, eating from the tree of life. Well, we live in this world where there's so much pain and suffering caused by our sin. In some strange way, death is a mercy to some degree of God. But then there's another one, another glimpse of hope when God gives Adam and Eve uh, skins uh, for animal skins to wear because they're wearing these you know, clothes made of leaves. I don't know if you've ever worn clothes made of leaves. I haven't. My guess is they don't last very well. They probably fall apart and they don't keep you warm. Well, God is looking after them and he's showing them that even though they have rebelled against him, that he is still on their side. He is still caring for them. He is still looking after them. And then the last thing that we see uh, is there's this promise uh, in uh, chapter, sorry, verse 16. Sorry, no, uh, verse 15, uh, where when God curses the snake, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. And there in this little bit, this little strange bit of the Bible, there is a promise here that one of Eve's descendants is going to come up against one of the come up against the serpent and is going to defeat the serpent. And, and we find out at the end of the Bible that the big twist is that the serpent actually is Satan. There you go. That was the spoiler I gave you before. In Revelation 12, it says that ancient serpent is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. And the story of the Bible is that one who was a son of Eve and a son of God, whose name was Jesus Christ, was put to death on a cross, the only good man to live, the only one who to, to, to not give in to temptation, to not rebel against God, dies the death that we all deserve. And it looks like Satan has won. And yet he rises again to new life with the promise that anyone who trusts in him can have that life too. And that is the hope that we have that if we trust in him, that we will receive that life too. That we do not need to live 
with the judgment for our sin, but we can live with the freedom of trusting in Jesus Christ who defeated the serpent on that day at the cross. And the challenge for each of us then is this. Some of us just need to know that we are sinners. That we, we think that we're pretty good. But we need to understand that we're not as good as we think that we are. That we are under God's judgment. But there is a way out. And that is in his son, Jesus Christ, who has given us a way to life that lasts forever. Forgiveness in him. And for some of us who feel the weight of our sin, we carry Genesis 3 with us all the time. We need to know that actually what this passage tells us is that if you trust in Jesus, uh, that you can find life because he has defeated the serpent and you will be clothed uh, not in whatever things you can pull together, but you are clothed in his righteousness and given life in him and you can see yourself not as a terrible sinner, but as a loved child of God because of what Jesus has done for us. Some of you need to know your sin. Some of you need to know that you are loved and forgiven. All of us need to know that there is life found in the one who defeated the serpent on our behalf. I'm going to pray for us. Our Father God, we thank you that even in this dark passage, we find hope. I pray that we would know that we are people who have rebelled against you, that we have rejected you, but you have not rejected us, that even as we experience the consequences of our sin, that we see that there is hope for us in your son, Jesus Christ, that was foretold way back in the garden, that we saw at the cross, and we look forward to when he will come back for us again and take us to life forever with him. Pray that we will hold on to this hope as we face our sin and the sin of others, knowing that you have a better plan for us. Amen. Well, that was the talk, and I hope it was helpful for you. If you want more talks, or to read my blog, or order my book, or even to book me to speak, remember to go to tomfrench.com.au. It's my home on the internet. You can also find me on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash twfrench or on Insta at TWFrench. And don't forget to give this podcast a rating and review wherever you get your podcast so that other people might be able to discover it too. Till next time, have a good one.